So these conversations started with walk-in talks. My friend Josh and I both needed to get some exercise, get out and about, especially during COVID. And we started taking these long walks through the neighborhood and then through the next neighborhood. And sometimes these walks would go on for an hour or two. And the conversation was always lively and current and informative. And so we thought, hey, what the heck? Why don't we record these conversations? Because if these are things that he's enjoying and I'm enjoying and I'm learning and he's learning, well, maybe there's an audience for this. And maybe we're not going to do this as a commercial venture, but at least it's a conversation we can let other people sort of eavesdrop into because it's interesting, if they find it interesting. And if not, there are plenty more topics and plenty more podcasts. So we thought as an experiment, why don't we hook up a couple of mics to ourselves and we'll walk and talk. And that was the birth of the idea of the Josh and Howard walk and talk. And I'm sure as we go, it'll metamorphosize into something new and perhaps different, But for now, it's a conversation, and we want to let you in on the conversation. So here's the first one. We decided let's choose a topic that is timely, that we have some insight into, and that other people might be interested in. And that is COVID, but specifically through the lens of public policy. Here's episode one. Enjoy. Our topic du jour is one that I think is timely. And top of mind. Yes. And that is, and it kind of encompasses the entire well, the previous almost two years, which is the COVID situation, mm-hmm. but through the lens of public policy, there's a lot of criticism on both sides of what the president did, of what Fauci said, and all this stuff. Which president? Both presidents <laughs> by this point. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about it from a public policy point of view. And I guess when I say that, I'm saying, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, people are going to look back on this time and say... Oh, this is what they did right, and this is what they did wrong. But we have the benefit, being almost two years into this, of being able to do a little bit of that now. Right. So can we, first of all, can we just kind of identify, get a definition, when we talk about public policy, how are we defining it? Um, I would define it as the laws, policies, and regulations put in by the federal, state, or county governments that would affect one's life and or behavior in response to COVID. So mask mandates, um, sheltering mandates, closing schools, closing houses of worship, you're sort of dictating what people do in response to um, the the COVID epidemic. And clearly there should be some public policy you know, changes in response to it, but is what we did proper, right, the the right things, you know, as we understood it then and as we will understand it in 10, 15, 20 years. Because it is the responsibility of our government to respond to something like this. You can't just... Well, that's a whole separate question. Really? Yeah, sure. Right? Why is it the government's responsibility? Why is it the federal government's responsibility as opposed to the state government? Or why is it the state government's responsibility and not the local government. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack here because, for example, one of the major things that people aren't, haven't really thought about or don't discuss really because they just assume the federal government should, quote unquote, do something, right, is why, why do anything? The major reason, the, the two major reasons are, one, you know, for the health and safety of the community writ large, 
right? We should protect people. But the other is we have nearly socialized medicine in this country. You know, we actually in this country spend more per capita by government than they do in Europe. So government spending on healthcare per capita in the United States is more than nearly every country in Europe. And so to say that we don't have socialized medicine with that level of expenditure is a little disingenuous. Well, that's just for our, our listeners. That'll be a separate topic on a separate yeah, well, podcast, but, 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 but it is relevant. But, but, but it affects this because, of course, if the government, meaning the population and their taxes, pay for the health care of a large number of people, then the government and the people who pay the taxes have the responsibility and the moral right to do things within their society to minimize the amount that they have to spend. We do this all the time, right? We mandate seatbelt laws. We mandate helmet laws. Well, because we were tired of people getting into car wrecks and us having to pay for their health care or us having to pay for the damages. So there's a, you know. Or us suffering. Let's not forget those personal suffering. Well, that's, that's another side. But think about what's the analysis if, if a motorcycle person gets into an accident and, you know, bangs their head and has a, you know, major concussion and they need to be on, you know, life support for three months, but I don't pay for it. It's not my responsibility. It's not my, it's not under what anything I do. Am I really going to turn around and tell the person, well, you, you can't wear a helmet or you have to wear a helmet, right? Like, yes, <laughs> there's the ideal, oh, we're here to protect people, but really it comes down to dollars and cents. I mean, let's be real. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of things that we are not involved in that we don't care about that we think may or may not be harmful to people. But as we as society are responsible for paying for the healthcare of others, then we as society want to dictate what others do to minimize that healthcare cost Mm -hmm. because their individual decisions now affect everybody. And that's just sort of the way life is. So COVID comes sweeping in from China and yeah, it's a contagious, novel disease, and we don't really know what what's going on. And we do all sorts of stuff, some good, some bad, some silly, some that don't matter. Mm-hmm. But so I think the average person, I can't really speak for the average person, but I think that they're not looking at it through that lens per se. They're looking at it like, well, our government has a responsibility or we're putting the responsibility on our government to spend money and do things that we can't do as individuals or even companies to to make us safer and ensure that our way of life can continue as unabated as possible. Yeah, but but there's a limit to that, right? You know, this is veering into something that we'll talk about later, which is, you know, the more government does for you, the more government does to you. And the more government does for and to you, the more people individuals and groups want to control the government because it controls society. So, but that, that's a whole separate issue. The, the real question is, right, what, what were our responses to COVID? Were they proper? And have we thought through all of this? There's, there's a lot here, right? Yeah. Okay. So, for, for example, when you look at 2020, one of the measures of, you know, the effectiveness of what we did is... Uh, a measure called excess deaths. So excess deaths is you look at, say, two or three years before, 2018, 2017, 2019, and you say, okay, 
what was the death rate in those years? And then in 2020, how did we do? Did we have more, meaning excessive deaths? Did we have fewer? You know, what, what was the response? And you have to adjust those numbers by population growth, and you have to adjust those numbers by segment growth, meaning we had a lot more 80-year-olds who so you would expect them to die, and we had you know, a lot, as opposed to fewer, you know, four-year-olds, we wouldn't expect to die. And the models basically come out that we had about 550 to 600,000 excess deaths, mm-hmm. which sounds like a lot. It is. It's about, it's about 22% excess death rate versus the previous year. And normally we grow in deaths two to four percent, something like that, based mm-hmm. on population growth. Now, the interesting thing is the officially listed COVID deaths for 2020 was 375,000 people. So nearly 40% or so, 35% of the excess deaths in 2020 are not attributed to COVID, but can be attributed to, or at least linked to, in my opinion, linked to the reactions that we did in, in reaction to COVID. In other words, in other words, by making people shut in, by saying that we're not going to, you know, that hospitals, you should only go in cases of emergency, that you shouldn't go to your doctor unless you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. People didn't seek treatment for heart disease or they didn't seek treatment for cancer or they delayed treatment or whatever. Or there's drug addiction, suicide, drug and all addiction, the stuff that exactly, comes from in that. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about, well, we, we, all, we, we didn't do, we, you know, we did something and we still had 375,000 COVID deaths. But what we did also caused, what, 175, 200,000 other excess deaths. Uh-huh. So I'm just saying public policy has effects that are far more complicated than people think through. Right. I can think as a senator or someone who's making these decisions, you know, from a political point of view, right, would rather say I reduce the number of COVID deaths because it's something you can directly point to and say, well, an unfortunate repercussion was an increase in teen suicides. But until now, we never really had any firm statistics on, well, if we do, if we shut people in for a month, we should expect this meant this much percentage in a bump in, in suicides. Sure, I, I, that's not it, it, that's valid. But then, how do you explain twenty twenty one? How do you explain? I know we're causing more deaths, but we're going to keep doing this, right? You know, once you get the data and you don't do anything, yeah. and you just continue doing stuff, and then you say, "Well, we had three hundred seventy five thousand COVID deaths in twenty twenty, despite locking people down, despite." you know, uh, uh, having mask mandates, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And remember it, it started as two weeks to flatten the curve mm-hmm. and we're what, 680 days or something into that or some obscene something number like that. Yeah. So this is why this public policy debate is complicated because I agree with you politically. It's hard. It's hard to say, no, we shouldn't do anything. Right. And that's why Sweden has been reviled, but yet as of now, they have one of the lowest per capita rates of COVID death. No. The, the, so it seems like a matter of whoever chooses to bite the bullet, in a sense, a la Sweden, 
Right. And they're going to suffer. In Florida, for example, which has the lowest COVID uh, death rates now of right. any state on a per capita basis. So it's almost like they shook it out. Correct. In, in, through a painful process, but now they've reached the, 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 the end of the tunnel, in a sense. It seems that way, but you know, maybe, maybe things will change. But again, I think politically, you, you touched on something. It's always easier for the politician to say, I did something, than what I'm going to do is be harmful and we shouldn't do it. That's just a hard sale. Right. No one can campaign saying it's going to be terrible and painful, but it'll be better in 10 years. They can. It's just hard. It's not popular. Right. Especially given... Especially if your opponent is saying, is condemning you for that. And right. But this goes back to the earlier part of the conversation, which is, for some reason, now we look to the government to take care of us, where 50 years ago or 30 years ago or 100 years ago, we would not do that. But we kind of had no choice because it's also our source of, arguably, our, our most trusted source of information. Is it? On a day-to-day basis. Is it? Right. I think I think for a certain large amount of the population, it is. Well, I, I think for a large amount of the population, COVID has shown um, it, the government not to be trustworthy, right? So trust is a very interesting idea. In my view, trust is a two-way street. And the CDC and the NIH and the FDA have all stood up and said, trust us, we've looked at the data Vaccines are absolutely the right thing to do. Trust us. Booster shots are the right thing to do. Trust us. Mask mandates are the right thing to do. Trust us. You know, give your four-year-old or five-year-old, five-year-old a vaccine because we've approved it. Mm-hmm. But trust is a two-way street, right? The FDA and the NIH and the CDC, they don't trust the population with the data. They don't trust the population with the studies. They don't trust the population with the information. They say, we know better. We're the, the arbiters of truth. And you don't have to know. That's why the FDA tried to hold, put a hold for 50 some odd years on the Pfizer data for their vaccine. And, in, you know, when you're talking about public policy and politics, that's one of the things I think that has been lost is they want they want the population to trust them, but they don't trust the population with information. They want to scope it and and control it. And when you say trust the science, for example, and this is very important when you talk about public policy. Well, whose science? Right. The WHO had a different definition of covid death for a long time. Now we're trusting individual doctors to determine what is a COVID death. And if you look at the actual definition, it's caused by or likely influenced by COVID. Well, that's, you know, that could be anything. And each, each of these elements of the conversation is like a, a Russian doll. You can mm-hmm. keep unpacking. Right. What's, you know, what, how, do, we, do we trust the doctors to be neutral? Are they unswayed? Right. Are they? Are there any political or financial considerations? Are there any individual social considerations? Right? Is there is there training? I mean, is, does your podiatrist? Do you trust your podiatrist because you went to medical school, regardless of the fact he has no real history or, right? You know, d- very deep understanding of immunology. I mean, or or virology, or virology in this yeah. in this case. Yeah. So that's that's one part. But the in England they did a study a couple of months ago at this point, I believe, and they found that almost half of the patients in the hospital that are listed as COVID patients were diagnosed for COVID in the hospital. They did not go 
expecting to be COVID patients. They went. Oh, so they went in for like kidney surgery. Exactly. Or, or they had. They did a routine heart, COVID test and oops, ex- positive. Now ex- they're a COVID patient. Exactly. So is the flood of hospitalizations in this third or fourth wave, is it due to COVID? Or is it due to delays in getting other treatments that are now forcing themselves to go to the hospital as opposed to seek, you know, primary care or preventative care or routine care, but they've been delayed because of COVID response. Yeah. Right. So that's why you have this very, very divergent view, at least in the United States, between people who emphasize freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of association, freedom of travel, freedom of doing business, and they will try to minimize and deal with the results of COVID, you know, on an individual and a choice basis. And statists who live in fear of COVID and want the state to impose all the COVID restrictions as possible because COVID is the primary threat to society. Where you, as we've talked earlier, even the, even the response to COVID has you know, trickle down effects, not in an economic way, but in a delayed treatment way and other, other things that take a while to understand. But now that we understand them, why are we continuing? So I guess at this point in the conversation, you know, if I was talking to certain friends of mine, let's say, Mm -hmm. they would have tuned out a while back. They would have said, well, anything that challenges what the CDC is saying is a conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into that. That's a whole other conversation that can take us down a rabbit hole. But well, what, but what we can do is we have the benefit of, of hindsight to look at the policies. I mean, because also they're also saying, look, back in April 2020, everyone was on the learning curve, the CDC, yep. the WHO. Yep. So we have to be you know, forgiven. We, we talked to a nurse who admitted that in the hospital they didn't know how to treat COVID, COVID. patients. And they ended up killing many because they treated it in a traditional sense, which ended up you know, effect, flooding the lungs with fluids and, and really hastening deaths right or that, or, or or putting like uh, a la new york putting um elder care people back into elder care or long-term care facilities that you know had high contagion rates because the hot because they felt the hospitals were not equipped or didn't have the space to deal with them and that ended up in causing tens of thousands of deaths yeah right right so at this point so if we were to go down that path right we'd be dissecting things and be, people would be agreeing or disagreeing sure. with us at every step of the way sure and dismissing or praising us every step of the way. Well, so if, let's. If they're interested in having a conversation, they should listen. If they're interested in being validated, they should not listen. That's their. Right, what's that? What's that famous? The famous line. I, I, I never learned that much listening to myself talk. Right. But but, but I'm but I, I'm just saying that like we can now look at the policies that were that were uh, implemented. Implemented. By the way, if, if if anyone out there hears me struggling for breath is because we're taking hills <laughs> and hopefully by the the 40 or 50th podcast i'll we'll be in shape we'll be in shape uh well look i mean to your point there's another way to think about the problem right there's pre-vaccine post-vaccine pre um pre people getting uh covid and post people getting covid right so like when we talk about the reason why we're sh- I'm spending some time on the data and the validity of the data is because the data is being used to inform the public policy. Right. So, for for example, discussions about HCQ and ivermectin are informed by people quoting studies that say they are effective, they're not effective. But if you look at the 
the total survey of studies, it's unclear. I mean, in, in my view, many, many studies show that HCQ and ivermectin are effective if they're administered in at certain times during the, the COVID life cycle of the patient, where, you know, certain government officials will just quote one or two studies that say, no, not effective because this study says so. But it just it just exemplifies that when you say believe the science, well, there's lots of science. Mm -hmm. There's lots of things out there. And really, science is a process of, you know, observation, hypothesis, test, validation, etc. And we have to we have to slice the data, you know, very, very differently. There's also a certain intellectual honesty involved here. Right. Or, or very, dishonesty. Or dishonesty. It's very, cause just as, just to do a callback to the COVID hospitalizations, use Colin Powell, for example. We'd right. like to bring that up. You know, it's, it's a tragedy. He was a great, a great American and a great leader. Uh, but they say he died of COVID. It, and, and buried maybe in the third paragraph was he also had you know, uh, stage four, like multiple myeloma. Stage four multiple myeloma and Parkinson's, right? Which, which but, are heavy contributors. So did the COVID, but the I mean, legitimate question is, did the COVID speed up a death? Was it by an hour? By Was it a year? Was it a week? And, and, and in truth, the answer is we don't know. Right. And the doctor, we've let the doc, individual doctors make that definition based on how they fill out the death certificate. And that's a serious comorbidity. Right. And, 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 this, is, and this is why... You know, something like the average number of comorbidities of a COVID patient who died is three point something. So is it the comorbidity or is it COVID? The WHO, as I understood it, used to define a COVID death as one with lung involvement, you know, liquid in the lungs. But I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. So, you know, if you look at data from the Far East where they were using that definition versus data from the United States where we at times we weren't using that definition, right? The, the data itself is muddy and cloudy and imprecise, and yet we're making these grand uh, declarations of how we should educate, you know, millions of kids in school or not in school. And we're finding teen suicide rates are up and um, intellectual capacity and reading and, and math is down to, you know, 20 or 30 year historic lows because you can't you can't teach people the same way online than you can in, in person. Right. I mean, this is a this is a major reshuffling of our education system that, you know, what are the effects when you have essentially a delayed school population of one to two years? Right. They're just I mean, it's a, there's a, just a cascade. There's a cascade. Yeah. Exactly. And, and these are big, big problems that if the answer is if you disagree with me, you're a fascist or a terrorist and I'm going to sick the FBI on you. That's just not a way to consider public policy. That's just not appropriate, right? right. It's just going to cause more problems long-term than, than we're going to solve. Well, what, one of the things that's going on, and it's happening in social media and in social mm -hmm. social politics, if, if, for, if you, for lack of a better yep. description, is that it's come down to, if you don't do this, which is a personal decision, you're risking the lives of everybody you know. You're risking, if you're not wearing a mask, you're, I mean, you know, if you, and it comes down to not even wearing the mask or not wearing the mask, if you believe that there's any alternative, but what the most stringent thing they're telling you to do is, Correct. you are endangering lives. You've excluded yourself from the, from the community. No, and, the community's excluding you, but that's okay. Well, but so, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to. So 90, almost 93 to 94% of all COVID deaths in the United States 
are people over the age of 50. Mm-hmm. If you're under the if you're 17 or younger, you have a 0.0001% chance of dying from COVID. And so the argument for forcing, for example, children on a public policy to um, get vaccinated is they may be infectious and they may be around uh, older people who are susceptible to the disease. And those people who are vaccinated may become infected and die because the child was not. So you've got a vaccine, right? Yeah. That isn't fully protective. And yet the vaccinated person with boosters, assume, you know, we can assume, who has the vaccine that they know is not fully effective, that they might get infected, but who, whose major impact is to reduce the severity of the disease. For themselves. For themselves. They're forcing somebody else to get vaccinated because for some reason that they don't want to be exposed. But right. ironically, we're having this conversation while we're walking by a kid's party. Outdoors, at least. An outdoor kid's party. Yeah. And uh, that, that's that's the noise in the background. We didn't uh, put in any right. any sound effects to and, uh, and make so, a point. Here, this is a great public policy discussion, right? So... How many deaths of vaccinated people are there based on children infecting them? Versus what are the side effects and maleffects of children taking the vaccine? Right? That should be the discussion. Well, one issue, just to, I mean, I'm always going to kind of raise, be the devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people who get COVID don't exactly know where I had COVID last year. I don't know exactly where I got it from. I can't say that I got it from a kid, my son's no, friend, uh, or, I, or from... Right, but, but LA know. County, you know, I got... I mean, I just so everybody knows, I'm pro-vaccine. I'm in the age group that's appropriate to get vaccine. I have comorbidities that are indicative of needing a vaccine. I got the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I still got COVID, right? You still suffered a bit. I, I, you know, I didn't go to the hospital. I didn't have lung involvement. And, and thank goodness... I was vaccinated. I'm very happy to be vaccinated. But that's a different discussion than you have to vaccinate your 10-year-old kid because we say so. Because they also have COVID. Right? You, you, here's, again, a great data point, great d- discussion about the data. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference in benefit for a child who already has vac- who's already, already had COVID? Do they need to get vaccinated? Right? The easy thing for the politicians to do and the public policymakers to do is to just say everybody has to be vaccinated but there are side effects and there are maleffects and there are things that we don't know about and there are things that we will find out in the next five years so you know given that something like 930 kids under the age of 17 have died of covid do we have any statistics on comorbidities there uh, almost all of them had some underlying condi- underlying comorbidity or condition okay right but Something like six or eight million kids are have tested positive with COVID, right? That's why the, the death rate's so low, but you're making somebody take the risk in order to avoid the off chance that you might be exposed, even though you have the vaccine. And there's no data that the CDC has about people who have already had COVID getting uh, getting reinfected and then infecting other people. None. Mm. Now, 
Does it happen? I'm sure. Under what conditions? We don't know. What are the side effects? We don't know. And so is it appropriate for parents to say, look, we've got side effects. We've got children who already had COVID. My kid doesn't need it. Are these valid discussions to have? Absolutely. But to then be turned around and called, you know, an anti-vax nut job who denies science, then you should be put in camps, which people have been called, is just shows the extremities of society at this point, where you can't have a discussion. Are you taking for granted, though, in this conversation that the vaccine is not safe no. or, or that there are risks involved with the vaccine that make the risk assessment competitive with choosing not to take it and, and in the risk assessment of getting COVID? Well, so um, all vaccines have side effects. COVID, the COVID vaccines have had side effects. The last data from the, there's a reporting system that the FDA has where you have to report has. That's the VAERS system, right? Yeah. The, it has something like 55 or 60,000 side effects versus, you know, we have no data that says children under the age of 17 who've already had COVID, do they need it or do they not need the vaccine? I mean, the CDC says for chickenpox and for measles and for mumps that if you had had, if you've had those diseases, you don't need the vaccine because you have some natural immunity, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, but we have no data <laughs> No studies, nothing around this and the long-term effects with children who are different than adults. They're, they develop, they continue to grow, they go through other things that adults don't go through. And so to say by government fiat, you have to have your kid vaccinated even though they have COVID and have had COVID and in order to get an education seems a bit totalitarian to me. And, you know, seems, seems to fly in the face of my body, my choice, or medical decisions are a private issue. And this is why public policy discussions become so interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. So the 12 or 13 year old who gets pregnant can go get an abortion and not tell their parents, but the government can tell that same 12 or 13 year old and their parents that they have to get a vaccine. Something seems missing in the balance here to me. Yeah. Right. Not to mention the issuance of an vaccine ID card. Right. In the same sure. in the same uh, calendar year as an argument about do people in general need to or you know carry uh, ID cards? Period. Or for other purposes. Or, or, right. Or or can can you mandate an ID card to vote? You can mandate an ID card. That's kind of what I was referring to without referring to it. But yeah, we'll call it what it is. Yes. Right. It was, it was, a, big, to, it was have, a big issue in the 2020 election. Right. You have to show a card to go get dinner, but you don't have to show a card to vote. Right? Isn't that just as racist? If it's racist to ask people to show a card to vote, isn't it racist to make them show a card to go out to dinner? Yeah. I mean, and what's happening lately in New York is the mayor created these what do you call them? Drug zones where uh, people can shoot up right. with, you know, impunity, and um, and that and that's but that's not a public health policy issue 
that anyone should be concerned with. That's not a health. That's not a health crisis that warrants further investigation. Right. right. But this, I mean, we should we should have a separate podcast on this. But this is why, again, the more the government can control your life, yeah. the more you want people to control the government. The more people would like to control the government. Um, so, but look, COVID is, I think, in my view, no longer a pandemic, but an endemic, meaning it's just going to be here. And it's going to be like the flu. Mm-hmm. And we have flu vaccines that are, what, 50 to 70% effective, 40 to 60% effective. They minimize the effects if you get it, etc. But we don't make people get the flu vaccine in order to go to school. People also point to the flu vaccine uh-huh. as evidence that variants are not covered by last, you know, last year's flu vaccine doesn't cover this year's flu. So, they, so they're using that to prop up support for the need for, the boosters. Need for boosters. And, and I don't, from a medical standpoint, I don't disagree with them. Mm-hmm. You know, vaccination and natural uh, change will cause variants. Mm-hmm. And the, and, but in general, variants become less... Um, extreme in their effect and more contagious. And that's why the Om- Omicron variant is highly contagious, but it's melded with a, cl- they're, they're finding that it's melded with um, a cold virus and is much less, you know, people don't get killed by it as much so far. Now, is that a sort of a biological standard that variants become less deadly and more pervasive? In general. And is that basically because of the survival of the virus itself? Correct. In other words, if it kills its host, it doesn't do itself any favors. It doesn't so. spread. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. So the the the, yeah. the, the longest living vi- viruses are the ones that are highly contagious but last a long time but don't kill you. Mm-hmm. Right. But look, the other problem we have here is that the policy that makes sense for New York City is different than the policy that ma- that makes sense for Boise, Idaho, mm-hmm. right? Or Winnemucca, Nevada, which is a tiny town in Northern Nevada, right? The locality, the population density, what they do, how they interact is very, very, very different. So when you try to have this cookie cutter, one size fits all, you cause a lot of problems. You know, if you're a farm worker in the middle of a farm, do you need to wear a mask with two other people around you? No. But if you're, you know, in a, in the subway touching things, is it best to you know sanitize your hands? Yes. I, these are different things. The United States is the size of Europe. Physically, we have as many, basically as many people. Does it make sense that the policy in Portugal is the same as the policy in Austria and the same as the policy in Denmark? No. Well, that leads me into this bigger picture, which is there's a, a war of ideologies, which doesn't help this situation at all. One ideology is that the federal government should be the, the power base and make all the decisions for all the states. Correct. And the other prevailing ideology is that the federal government do as little as possible, leave it to the states. And then you can decide which state you want to live in right. under, which, under what kind of uh, governorship. And, and you can also, and the states themselves can look at what's working in their state or other states and then change their policies. 
right? It's it's a laboratory of 50 different states. Yeah. And the United States government under the Constitution is basically formed where the individual state has what's known as police powers mm. and the federal government doesn't. The states gave up a specific amount of power to the federal government and retained all other powers. And that's why... California can and should act differently than Nevada, mm -hmm. which can and should act differently than, oh, I don't know, Wisconsin. There are different topologies, different weathers, different population, density, uh, uh, population densities, different workloads, different industries, different, it's all different. And you can't say everything's the same. The desert is not the same as the forest. The swamp is not the same as the plains. Everything acts differently. There just seems to be, for some reason, I'm remembering those choose-your-own-adventure books when you're growing up. Yep. And if you know, if you decide to go into the cave, go to page 18. Sure. If you decide to circumvent the cave and go down to the valley, go to page 16 or whatever. Right. Every step of the way leads you to, uh, I don't know if it was a thousand-page book, a different result. Yep. And here you have so many moving parts. You have, well, how deadly is COVID? I mean, how contagious, how, how deadly, how dead. Okay. And, and what, what are the, what are the ancillary effects of keeping kids home from school for a year? Right. Uh, you know, what, what, you know, what about, what about couples that were on the verge of divorce because of abuse that suddenly couldn't go anywhere? Correct. You know, there was a, you hear about all these things. Right. I'm it, sure. uh, my bet always was when we went into lockdown, are we going to have more babies or more divorces? Yeah. And unfortunately the data's in and we have more divorces and less babies. Interesting. But at least, I mean, should we feel good that this is happening on a global scale at least so we, we can still stay, com still stay competitive with our, our Chinese counterparts? I, I think about this a little differently, right? A hundred years ago or 200 years ago, we did not have nearly as interconnected uh, a world in terms of travel, in terms of population and goods and services. So that's one other thing that makes COVID somewhat unique. Right. Yeah, the, the Spanish flu is, is similar, but it came on the heels of World War I, mm -hmm. which was a massive interchange of population that we hadn't seen before. Hundreds of thousands of and millions of Brits and Americans went into the continent and then came back. You know, we hadn't seen that in the hundred years before that. Um, but, you know, from the time that we had the Spanish flu until now... We had flight, right? You know, we used to only travel 10 to 20 miles from our homes. And now it's not unusual that people travel 100,000 miles on a plane a year. Mm -hmm. and, and that interconnectivity creates the sharing of goods and services and diseases, mm -hmm. right? I mean, in the exchange between the old world and the new world, when the, when the European colonists and conquistadors came over, you know, we brought smallpox and other diseases into the population and we got potatoes and syphilis going back the other way. I mean, like, but, and there was a massive syphilis outbreak in Spain in the, in the early 1500s because those diseases weren't known. But now, you know, you can literally hop on a plane and get around the planet in 24 hours and exchange body fluids and diseases and viruses. And that's why these things are going to spread. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's why we need a different public policy. I, I, the thing that actually concerns me the most about the public policy that we have right now 
is that nobody's defined what the end goal is, or very few people have. So, Eradicating the virus, it seemed, was there a right, so spoken Somewhat, objective? but a zero, a zero COVID policy doesn't work. It will never work, mm-hmm. right? You'll always, COVID is, a, is an animal virus as well. You'll always get some sort of interchange at some level, right? Um, you'll get variants, you'll get mutations, you'll get people who are vaccinated and not vaccinated and the vaccinated people aren't fully protected from the unvaccinated infected people, right? Like you can't get a zero, a zero test policy. Mm-hmm. I mean, New Zealand gave up on it and they're an island, <laughs> right? They said, yeah, we can't do this. Here's another aspect of public policy. You want to know one of the, one of the troubles that we've had and why people are all freaked out is because we don't have enough ICU beds or we didn't. Mm-hmm but we haven't increased the number of ICU beds that are available in two years. And, and now we're laying off. And now we're laying first people responders off first responders medical for, workers. for not getting the vaccine, even though they may have had it. Right. Yeah. Can we, I mean, at some point. Sure. Well, I mean, I don't want to no. deviate from the public policy, but it is part of public, pu- public policy. The public policy is turning in on itself. If you're, if you're, you're facing one variant after another and all the fear that comes with it, right. how at the same time do you lay off the frontline workers who were the heroes last year and presumably know more about medicine and self-preservation through the lens of medicine than, than pretty much anyone else, and they're choosing not to get vaccinated, losing their jobs, which creates more of a, a medical problem in case there's more hospitalizations. I mean, it just it's it seems anathema to logic and reason. Well, and it, survival. Well, it it's, depends on what your goal is. If your goal is everybody has to be vaccinated, and I don't care about the side effects of that decision, then you're pursuing it with a near religious zeal. Okay, that's kind of scary. Right, but that's what it is. Right. And but but the same token on the other side, if you you have people who say, you know, God will protect me, and I don't need a vaccine, and I don't need treatment, and they have a religious zeal as well, which I which I think is equally as silly. And so these are personal decisions, and people have to take their own risk assessments. But the government really should, in my view, only be involved as little as possible because of these problems, right? Because somehow we trust. Fauci as the as the highest paid government employee to not be swayed by his own ego and selfishness and in in desire for power and prestige but we do decry the pharmaceutical guy who says I've got a vaccine and I want you to use it but he's doing it for for greed and and self-interest right I mean people are people mm-hmm they're greedy, they're selfish, they're narcissistic, they're helpful, they're moral equally, whether you're in government or not. And, and somehow I think that's the, ba- the public policy balance that I'm concerned about is a large swath of our population is like the government is good and everybody else not in the government is not good and we can only trust the government, we can't trust anybody else. It's like, well, how does that work, right? If you don't trust somebody because they're in business and they're selfish, but they're not selfish when they're in in, in, in government, they don't think about them, themselves and their ego and how they benefit. Like, I, I don't understand how that, that's the logical part to me. Well, it's because the house is always on fire. 
And if the house is not always on fire, people are going to start thinking about what they can grab and what they, and do they really need to leave? And do they really need to right, take it, it seriously? But if you look over the last 20 years, it was, you know, the ice age, global warming, uh, you know, swine flu, SARS, right? There's always a crisis. There's always a problem. And if our response is always the government will help us, I'm not sure that's the right response, right? The government, you know, in the past has also, you know, done experiments on African-American people without telling them. And the government has, you know, locked up Japanese people for, because they were concerned during World War II. And the government has done all sorts of horrible things, mm -hmm. right? The government, you know, today has, government today has a policy of confiscating what they believe are illicit profits and illicit assets and have, don't have to provide any proof and then distribute it to themselves under civil civil forfeiture asset rules. And somehow we trust them, right? Do we trust the police or do we not trust the police? Do the police only want to kill people or are they here to protect us, right? Like these are very fundamental questions that affect this public policy debate and not everybody trusts the government. Well, I have a fundamental question about that to add on to that. And that's an airplane going overhead. Um, did they drop the investigation about the origins of COVID? Um, it seems well, that who's, is... Who's they? Well... The WHO has... When, when has, SARS happened, they were able to identify the bat that it came from. Right. Relatively quickly. No, the, the, the WHO um, has gone along with the Chinese uh, view of things. Um, and China has been not fully... Was not and has not been fully responsive... And, and with information and the as i understand it the u.s government has an investigation has basically come to the conclusion that it's not certain but it may be likely that it came from a chinese lab and but they won't they won't declassify any of the information a lab that america had america helped fund it and helped fund so yes. it's an embarrassment right and it, and it basically makes us liable in a sense to the well, rest of the world the same way that well, Trump I, was trying to hold China accountable. I, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure about that, right? Because when you fund something, you ask for policies and procedures and rules to be in place in order to fund it. And, and I don't know if the pass-through third-party funding partner gave the information back to the federal government. I don't know if the Chinese lab that should be responsible for the protocols under the agreements followed them, right? Like, and So in other words... We weren't supposed to be funding gain-of-function research, and they if they lied to us and said it wasn't gain-of-function research, then we're off the hook, but there's so many steps in between, it's well, impossible no, no, to no, say. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I think it's pretty clear in my reading of it that we did fund a third party that funded something that would be would be clearly known as gain-of-function, but that there are policy, there are policies and procedures that the lab and the funding group should have followed and notifications that they should have done that they didn't do. So, you know, the CDC is very clear. We funded, you know, gain of function or potential gain of function um, uh, research. They wrote a letter to the Senate. They said, yes. And that was in clear violation of, of our, you know, the federal government's dictate to not fund gain of function. Mm -hmm. But, but are we responsible for the leak itself? I don't know. Like, it seems, 
I don't know. Okay, so let's 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 list the repercussions of COVID. I mean, certainly, the economy, the inflation, rather the result of, uh, of no, no, the economy so, is, so, is be one of them. So no, it's it's actually way more complicated. It's a great question. So, the initial problem was nobody could go to work. So we then ginned up a couple trillion dollars and started distributing it for because because people couldn't go to work. Then. They had these benefits, and as the economy slowly opened up, it, the, the, so economics is never, it's never actual, it's marginal decision-making. Meaning, do you sit down and go, hey, I really want that $12 an hour job or $15 an hour job or $7 an hour job? Is that the decision? Or is the decision, I'm currently making $12 an hour effectively on benefits, and if I go get that $15 an hour job, I lose nine of those dollars. So I'm really making $18 and it's only like a $6 gain to work. Mm -hmm. It's a marginal discussion. And the problem we have is that because we have such significant benefits that have been added onto because of COVID, the decision to go back to work becomes harder, mm -hmm. right? You need to be paid more to get you off of the additional benefits. You know, I think the state of Pennsylvania did a great graph that showed that basically when you earned about twenty-two dollars to $25,000 combined per year, combined with the amount of benefits you can receive, that's about fifty-five dollars or $60,000 in total benefits mm -hmm. and salary. And you did not get, you did not reach that level of combined benefits and, and salary until you were making sixty five dollars to $70,000 a year again. So if somebody offered you any job between twenty-five dollars and $65,000 a year, you actually net lost total benefits and total economic, economic uh, benefit. But now that... Uh... And now that just moved further to the right because we added more unemployment and we extended things. And... Right. But that's been over for almost three months now, that extra well, unemployment. So but it shouldn't takes... we start seeing things go back or are people rating their savings or people have been rating their savings but and it's that's like, why okay that explains like, a lot in the, in the it's market. like what i like i mean i'm making i don't really work and i make a lot of money and maybe i make a little less money but i don't really work but now i gotta go to work and i make about the same amount of money that's the decision and that's why we're seeing inflation because we flooded the we flooded the zone with a lot of money and now it's like we got to spend even more money to get people out of the benefit trap. And it's a trap. But a lot of the benefits, especially for gig workers, have expired. The the pandemic unemployment insurance that added an extra three, $600 a week and then $300 a week later on, right? that, that, that expired the beginning of September. And it will take time for that to unwind, right? You have all these little pockets, like take the problem at the LA, uh, LA port. You only have one union that can unload the containers and they may or may not want to go back to work and they may or may not want to hire people. The state of California has outlawed 50% of all trucks because coming into the port because of um, uh, emissions problems. So you've reduced the number of trucks. I mean, this is the economy is a very, 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 very complicated and intricate living, breathing thing. And you push one thing and it has an effect over here. But I have noticed store shelves. They're empty. The Walgreens, for example, I wanted to get distilled water. They're empty. They're, they couldn't get it. Correct. It's a little, it's a little frightening. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it was frightening at the beginning of COVID, but you can 
it was understandable. But now, in you know, in the recovery phase, it's now it's like a I don't want to say a real problem, but now it's not a COVID emergency problem. It's a it's a, a supply chain problem. Which, yeah, we're in the 1970s. Yeah. Right. But, you know, high inflation, high, you know, relatively high unemployment. I mean, the unemployment numbers are wrong because the unemployment number, the percentages don't take into account the people who are no longer looking for work. Mm-hmm. So people who haven't applied for unemployment aren't being counted in these stats. Uh, no, no, no. People who. It's not if you're on unemployment or not. It's whether you're looking for work or not. So if you are getting your benefits and on your gig gig job that's not listed as a W-2 and not looking for work, you're not considered unemployed. But you're a gig worker. Yeah, you're making a little bit of money here and there, but you're taking benefit, right? Like, uh-huh. it's just statistics become very, very complicated here. Um and it's a whole other discussion, but going back to public policy on COVID, I think we made a lot of serious mistakes, and I think we did some things that were kind of smart, and I think we're continuing to make a lot of mistakes. You know, I think it's pretty clear that mask mandates have no effect. If you look at the 50-state you know, surveys that show uh, economic output versus um Mask mandates versus infection rates, there's no correlation, none. Um, whether you lock down or not, um, I think we're doing tremendous harm to children, both in terms of intellectual development and social development. Nobody really seems to think about that. I mean, you take an inner city Los Angeles kid who had been going to school and they don't have high speed internet and they don't have good devices, and you say, okay, now you're going to learn online. Like, some kids need a place to go. Some kids need, like, these are all factors that we just don't think about with this paintbrush of everybody has to get vaccinated and that's just it. And we're not going to open the schools up, period. Um, and there are all these side effects that people rightly talk about, especially around children. And to be shut down and just said, you're insane and you're a terrorist for questioning me. Um, that's, that's no society. That's, that's not a good society to live in. Right. Mm. And it's going to have that process is going to have serious mal effects over the next five to 10 years. Families are going to be fractured disagreements. I mean, I have people in my family who think I'm crazy right? and I think they're crazy. And, you know, are we going to go to the same, are we going to have the same sort of intersection of events? Or are we going to be comfortable with each other and multiply that by 330 million people? And it's not all going to be great. So if, if you wanted me to give us a grade, I give us a C, you know, kind of average. We, we clearly caused ourselves some problems. We clearly did a few things right. I think having the vaccine was a very, very, very good idea. Mandating it for everybody is less of a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other countries are going to be fining people on a monthly basis for not being vaccinated, despite, for example, having had COVID. Yeah, that's right. that's that bothers me. Right. And again, we don't. The CDC has said we don't have data that shows what the rate of both reinfection of the COVID person who's already had COVID and what the transmissibility of it is to other people. You know, we we had tracings. People would I, when I got COVID, I got called up. Said, "Where do you think you got it?" Mm-hmm. Um, but we just don't have the data, and we're making these decisions for the entire country 
in whole segments and we don't know the side effects, that's why I give us a C. Like it's not, it's, it's because we're not taking the time to understand the side effects. In what other situation can you imagine that lack of data results in, well, just do it to be safe, quote unquote. We don't have the data, but just do it. Uh, I think that's the point, right? We would never say, I'm not sure if this plane will fly, let's try it, mm -hmm. right? We would never say, I think this food is okay, let's try it, you know? But somehow with vaccines around kids and vaccines with people that have already had COVID, go for it anyway. We don't really know the effects. We don't know the long-term effects. We don't know if it's important to do, but we're gonna make you do it anyway. Well, we haven't even discussed the money which is a volatile issue, but there oh, are the billions, billions of and billions and billions of dollars right. being made. Yeah. And the companies themselves aren't mandating the vaccine for their employees, for example. Is that still true? I'd have to look it up. I, I, I don't know. But, but here's the real kicker. The companies are not liable for any side effects. They're not liable for the problems. They're, the government gave them a, a waiver. Is that unique to COVID? Yes. Or are companies liable? Yep. Like is Merck liable for the flu vaccine? Or if, if, if I'm not even sure if Mark produces the flu vaccine, but things that we're used to yep. that we kind of take for granted, yep. the MMR. I yeah. mean, there are, yeah. but they, they, they do list side effects. So at which point, I mean, every, every vaccine, you know, you sign a waiver, you, there are side effects. There are those right. chances, right. kids, you know, whatever terrible things have happened, can happen. They don't exclude it. But at which point. But that, that's would a company the, become liable? That's for the courts to decide, which I understand. But the government has said the courts can't even decide that. Uh -huh. There is no liability ever. And also the courts, by the same token, just talking about the courts, we can look at the position that mandating a vaccine under these circumstances doesn't make sense, shouldn't be legal. And yet there are so many courts that are upholding it. Uh-huh. But courts aren't political, right? <laughs> so the the Sixth Circuit has ruled that the OSHA federal government mandate is uh, against the law. Mm -hmm. um, it's all going to go to the Supreme Court again. But the, if you go back to the big issue, people in government feel like they should be able to do anything to control society. And they will do anything that they think is right to control society. And they don't seem to have a limiting factor unless it goes to the courts. And that's a very difficult society to live in. Because that means basically every decision, every major decision has to be adjudicated. There's no self-restraint, right? The OSHA doesn't come back and say, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to, to, to do this. And it's going to cause a problem. And this, is, this happens on gun control and religion and everything. Where when you have the view that the government should control people's lives, then they're going to do everything they can. Mm -hmm. to control people's lives and but that's but that's why we have a representative democracy and we get to change out parts of the government every mm -hmm. two years in order to slowly change this out and you know we've had quote-unquote blue waves and red waves and this is why the people ultimately must speak the people must ultimately say either with their feet and go to the states they feel are reflect their views and values or the ballot box in order to get representation to reflect their views and values. There's one big slice of this that we've kind of left out. Okay. Social media. Uh-huh. We live in an age where we can get information 
a variety of information. Almost from, instantaneously. From various sources. Yep. And the social media companies seem to have an agenda. It's obvious they have an agenda. Uh-huh. And they want to be the arbiters of what information yeah. is, uh, is, is, ver- is verified or qualified or yep. true yep. and what isn't. Yep. And I think that's very dangerous. Oh, incredibly especially dangerous. Especially in the context of talking about changing on our government and, and, making, and having choice because it's taking away information and therefore a lot of that freedom of choice that, that we're relying on yep. in, in, in these situations. It's skewing it in one direction. Yeah, I saw, I saw something online that said, uh, Facebook is the perfect example of a socialist government. They give you everything for free. Uh-huh. It's run by a rich guy. <laughs> and if they disagree with you, if you disagree with them, they kick you out of the society. And that's, that's Russia. That's, you know, hardcore communist society. Right? And I agree. I think social media is both useful and dangerous. Um, and listen, people have been kicked out for, you know... The, some people might say, oh, yeah, that, that guy should be kicked off because he's doing X, Y, and Z. But there was someone who was kicked off because some, I think, duck recipe was called hate speech or something. Right. Well, I mean, how about this is really scary. Uh, Rand Paul was kicked off for a speech he made in the well of the Senate. Yeah. Right. The well of the Senate and anything said there cannot be litigated. Right. It is a sacrosanct idea in American government that are in within the confines of government what you say cannot be prosecuted, but yet it can be kicked out of Facebook. And that's 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 scary, especially when Facebook is such a major conduit of information yep. for the average voter person. So I hope you all found this a useful conversation and we'll pick another subject. Next week. Yeah, we're not necessarily going to arrive at conclusions, but at least we'll hopefully illuminate parts of the issues that people aren't thinking about. And hopefully do it in a way that that doesn't cause tempers to flare, but people to listen with uh, open ears and consider what the implications are. I mean, we're, you know, we're we're walking and talking, so we don't have like a book of facts at hand, but these things should be able to be looked up. Yep. And if some, email us. If anything we find is egregiously wrong, we'll correct it on the next podcast or two. But we try to, you know, use truthful sources and come to consistent conclusions. I'm just going to check and see how many steps we did. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah, I'm looking for my health app too. It looks like 7,525 steps. That many, huh? Today. Well, I am at, yeah, you walked a little bit before. I did 6,820 steps. Maybe because you're taller than me. You have fewer steps. Maybe. We'll go with that. I have longer legs. All right. I'm double-timing it. Anyway, thanks for listening. Email us. We'll put up an email somewhere when we figure out what it's going to be. Yeah. Check the link. Check the link. All right. All right. Next time.